Okay, so we're going to turn back to uh, Matthew chapter 5 and that section uh, entitled in the ESV Lust, 27 to uh, 30. And uh, this, there are questions connected with this for the identity which we'll meet in our house after uh, the service. So um, wordcraft uh, is always important. I mentioned this morning about the importance of uh, knowing the facts about a situation. Well, also, I think uh, the way we use words is important, and our understanding of words is important, uh, particularly as God communicates to us in the Bible, the, the, our understanding of his words uh, is important. Because we look at a word like law, and we all go, boo, don't like law. And we look at a word like love, and we all go, yay, because we all like love. And so we look at words very differently. But it's interesting, isn't it, in the New Testament, what we have in the Bible uh, is that God's laws are laws of love, actually. So the, uh, the two uh, go very closely together, these two words. And it's very important uh, to understand that when we're speaking about God's law uh, that is taken by Jesus Christ here and... Uh, uh, accentuated and explained and deepened and uh, uh, given kind of three dimensions, as it were, that these are laws of love, that they were given to us in response to his grace, in response, in response even in the Old Testament to what he'd already done. These are the laws of, I am the Lord your God who's already taken you out of the land of Egypt, the God who's already redeemed and rescued his people. And so for us, we recognize and understand that God's law have that uh, aspect of uh, obedience out of gratitude as well. You, you know, you love me. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. That's what he says. So we recognize their laws of love. So it's important, therefore, when we speak about God's law and we speak about law here in this uh, uh, passage or we, we speak about what he's saying, that we, we, we're aware of not externalizing them, okay? Just. Because the laws of God, God is always looking into the heart, isn't he? And that's one of the things about these laws. They're laws of love. Uh, so the danger is sometimes that we just externalize the laws and say, as long as we're obeying what God says outwardly so that everyone else can see, in a comparative way, then we're okay. That's what, exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They said, as long as you don't commit adultery physically and in a... Well, maybe not in a public way, but in a way that could be found out, then uh, you're not breaking the law. And Jesus internalizes it far more and says, it's not just the external outworking of these commands that's important. It is uh, our attitude, and it's our heart, and it's our uh, soul. So there's the, that danger of externalizing the law. But also, therefore, we need to recognize that these laws of God have dual purpose. One of them is because they expose our heart failure. They expose that we fall short. You read? Did you read these? Did you read these verses? We fall short of that. Every one of us falls short of God's perfect standard for us. That None of us are free from... Uh, anger, uh, none of us are free from lust, none of us are free from coveting, none of us are free from these internal um, falling short of God's standards so that the law, part of it is exposing our need. And it exposes our need of heart surgery. 
spiritually speaking. That we need uh, grace to transform our hearts, to change us from the inside out, to enable us to begin to fulfill and to follow God's laws with the right motives and with the right intentions and with the right desire. So that it's not just about outwardly doing what's right so that we can compare ourselves with others, but rather out of love for Jesus Christ and what he's done and having been given a, a heart of stone being removed to have a heart of flesh that we can love him and desire him and serve him because of who he is. And the, the law of God does all of these things. So we come to this uh, section, and I'm going to speak this evening about sexuality. Okay? And uh, the Bible has a lot to say about uh, sex and sexuality, and I'm going to say a few things uh, about that. It actually says far too much for us to deal with uh, in uh, 20, 20 minutes, uh, but uh, we'll try and uh, set the scene for some further discussions on these things. I think by way of general introduction, we recognize and know that uh, uh, sexuality and uh, a sexual act is, uh, in its right context, God's good gift. You know, we, we know and, and recognize that right from the beginning of time. Like all of the good things uh, uh, of life uh, that have been given to us, they are given to us by God. And just as eating is a pleasure, so sex is a pleasure. But he gives us parameters both for eating and for sex and for a lot of other things as well. Parameters for our well-being so that we use his good gifts in the right way. And it's important that we consider them and that we recognize them and that we recognize them because particularly, probably more than anything, they are going absolutely counter to what everyone else in the world is saying. And so we will find ourselves swimming upstream the wrong way if we follow God's uh, teaching and Jesus Christ and his parameters uh, for our sexual lives. One thing we need to remember, okay, the human race might die if we don't have sex, but you personally won't. And it's not an appetite at that level. Uh, Now, if we don't eat, we will die. If you don't drink, we'll die. But if you don't have sex, you'll not die. Okay? So it's not an appetite at that level uh, for the individual. But we know for the uh, furtherance of the human race, it's a good thing. And we need it. And uh, he makes it fun and enjoyable as well. But it's set in a precious package. That's what God has done. He set sex in a precious package. It's set within the context of the family unit. That core relational union for society, which is marriage between a man and a woman. That, from the very beginning, has been God's parameters from which sexual activity is to be engaged within. That, uh, that primary community of love, that is uh, where the outworking of that gift is to be uh, enjoyed and uh, participated in. And that community reflects, of course, right from the very beginning, that community itself reflects the nature and the character of God, who's a Trinitarian God. So he says, let us make man in our image. In our image, let us make them male and female. Let us make them. So there's that sense in which, can I say, not just married couples reflect the image of God, but men and women in community reflect the image of God uh, because God is a social being 
and God has made humanity social at that level. But we recognize that within that union, God has set sexual activity for very significant and important reasons. Because the activity is to reflect the union. It's to reflect the relationship that there is uh, between a man and a woman in a loving marriage. It's that physical expression, in other words, of what uh, the relationship is uh, fundamentally. So that there's to be uh, in the outworking of uh, uh, sexual activity within marriage, there's to be respect, there's to be commitment, there's to be honesty, there's to be joy, there's to be satisfaction, there's to be compromise, there's to be security, there's to be vulnerability, there's to be self-control. All of these things are to be reflected in the sexual activity that reflects the marriage itself, that reflects the ongoing characteristics of that marriage. And that is where it is fulfilled. And that is where it uh, is freest and fullest and most enjoyable. And because sexual activity isn't simply for procreation, but is also for procreation and for families and for children, then we see that children then are the children who are to be brought up in the same environment as the environment that allows sexual behavior to be safe and to be enjoyable. So that the family unit is to be a place of respect and commitment and honesty and joy and satisfaction and compromise and security and vulnerability and self-control and all these other things as well. And that is the model and the pattern that God gives us for the, uh, the parameters that he gives us for the enjoyment of and the activity and uh, sex. Now, only hearts that are touched by grace will ever accept that. That's the gospel message, is that uh, we struggle to consider and to accept that unless we have been touched by the grace and gentleness of Jesus Christ and recognize that to love him is to obey his commandments. And his commandments aren't burdensome and wearisome for us because of that. But you see, the world in which we live... If I were to write this in a newspaper uh, or in a media outlet of some kind or speak about uh, this model of sexual activity in the world today, I would be utterly and completely lampooned and uh, I would be told that I was engaged in religious bam pottery of the highest order that nobody could ever possibly uh, understand or would want to work out and follow in their lives. Because the world in which we live is, certainly in the Western culture in which we live, almost seems to be all about sex. Uh, It's regarded as a completely normal, natural function that is essential for everybody. That is debatable. And that there should be no boundaries to that. That also is questionable. Really? Really? Does even the world think that there are no boundaries to sexual activity? I doubt that's the case. It's not so much the boundaries that are the problem. It's who makes them is the problem. Because people are quite happy in the world in which we live, uh, in a secular world, to make boundaries that they have decided to make 
as long as it's not God who makes them. So the problem is not really boundaries. The problem is, is God. And again, it re- returns back to a heart issue. That the only way that we will recognize and follow willingly and enjoy God's model for us is when we've been touched by his grace because the problems in our lives are primarily spiritual. And the issues and the difficulties and the struggles we have are because we are rebels and rebels against God. And that's what sin always does. Isn't that, you know, we've been looking at it in Job is that anything that... Uh, it causes us to doubt or distance ourselves from God often comes from the evil one who say, who will want us to curse God and die. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to abandon God. Say God is a, 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 an unfair and a harsh and oppressive ruler and you can't possibly fall. Don't be ridiculous in this day and age. What a ridiculous way to live to think about sexuality in this day and age. But as believers, and if you're a believer here this evening, you need to be someone who allows the lordship of Christ not just, to, uh, not just to challenge and to be over things that are easy for you to consider, but over all of life and over all that he teaches about because he's lord of all of life. And he's lord of all that we are. He's lord of our relationships. He's lord of our ambition. He's lord of uh, our pleasure. He's lord of our eating and drinking and sleeping and rising and sexuality. Everything comes under his lordship. And there's much teaching in God's word about sexual. And so there should be, because he invented it. He made it. He gave us it. This is not, let's not be prudish about this and kind of look at our feet and tie our shoelaces because it's important stuff. And he gives us this stuff because it's important, because he wants us to have a good foundation and he wants us to enjoy his good gifts as he intended them to be enjoyed. So sex and the lordship of Christ is a very real issue. Our obedience to Christ is the core of our discipleship. It's absolutely core to who we are. With a new heart, the laws of God become laws of love, laws of gratitude, and laws that we recognize even sometimes as being tough, but good for us. And as he uh, defines the priorities for us, we follow him. Sin separates, it divides, it deceives, it dehumanizes, it damages, and it destroys. You're getting all the Ds today. You got three this morning, you're getting five tonight. Okay, that's what sin does for us, and we need to remember that. It divides, and it deceives, and it dehumanizes, and it damages, and it destroys. And uh, as we recognize that within this context, then it will also uh, challenge our thinking. Because Jesus makes clear here, and when speaking about adultery, uh, sex and sin, he says, you know, uh, you've heard that it said you shall not commit adultery, but I say unto you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's basically what he's saying, and he's broadening just to, to the uh, simplistic uh, act of adultery. It's, it's, the whole New Testament speaks about uh, sexual sin in broader terms, but in reality... Uh, Jesus is saying, if you rip sex from its precious package, you are stealing it from where it, to, and taking it to where it oughtn't to be. So it should be within that, that package of a loving, committed, faithful, lifelong relationship between a man and a woman in marriage. If you take it from that, you're ripping it from its rightful place. And what adultery does 
and what sexual impurity and immorality does in our lives, it, it destroys trust for that unity and that union. And it destroys honesty. And it destroys all these characteristics that we were speaking about, uh, which should be the, uh, the atmosphere in which sexual activity is enjoyed. And, and all sexual sin ultimately does the same thing. It dehumanizes. It deceives. It damages. And it destroys. You only look at you only need to look at the world in which we live and see some of that destructiveness in, in uh, the context of uh, sex. You know, how pornography, how it objectifies women and makes them no more than uh, uh, forms to look at. Uh, two-dimensional sex on the screen, whether it be in the computer or in the cinema or in the television, is doing the same kind of thing. The privacy of it. The vicarious nature of it. I'm going to give you five Vs. I'm giving you three Vs now. Don't often do this, but just happen to work out this way. Virtual, vicarious, and voyeuristic. That's what two-dimensional sex does for us when we're uh, engaging in that in, in, our, in our own, when we're um, feeding our fantasy uh, minds and uh, uh, imaginations. Something that's isolating it's something that's ultimately selfish and lonely. And it's inducing loneliness within us. And it's doing exactly the opposite of what it was intended to do in God's good model and pattern for us. And sex is taken as a substitute for love, engaged in for fear of rejection. When it's a bargaining tool, when it's used to manipulate people's emotions or feelings, when it's used to abuse power or even indeed abuse beauty. All of these things reveal sex taken out of its context and used to divide and to separate and to deceive and to destroy and to dehumanize. We are constantly bombarded with the misery of rape and of prostitution and of sexual slavery and of violence. This is a broken world we live in. And sexual brokenness is some of the most overt and painful and destructive brokenness that there is. And it's a heart problem. It's a spiritual problem at at that level because it is our attempts to enjoy God's good gifts without the God who gives them and without the parameters in which he gives them to us. So, you know, Jesus is saying clearly that this is a heart problem. It's not just an outward act. It's uh, what we do internally. It's the covetousness that even the Old Testament commands uh, deal with also in, in the Tenth Commandment. And it's a recognition uh, that that is uh, breaking God's precious model and pattern for us. So he talks about sex and sin there. He also then goes on to talk about the eye and sin which is very interesting. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that whole body be thrown into hell. And of course, he's making that great link between uh, what we do and what we look at. And the eye of our bodies being the eye of our imagination and the eye of our ongoing activity and behavior. This great link between body and soul 
and between uh, body and imagination and mind. So that our, he's saying our sexual sin is fed primarily in the first place by our eyes, by what we allow ourselves to imagine and watch and feed on. That then becomes what uh, governs our thinking in this amazing uh, area, the eye and sin. Now, of course, he's using uh, really powerful uh, language here. He's not talking uh, about something we should literally do. Uh, some misguided people in the past have tried that. It doesn't work. It's uh, an illustration, powerful illustration, to remind us uh, of what we should do. So, therefore, what we look at is important. What you choose, to, what I choose to look at, nobody else chooses it. It's our own choice. We're utterly responsible for that in our lives. Uh, even, I, I guess, here with, with the, uh, looking lustfully at a woman, I think there's a, a, a distinction and a, a difference between looking at a woman and looking lustfully at a woman. Uh, and what God is, uh, Jesus is saying here, the, the lustful look is that lingering, covetous, longing, undressing look that is used, which is covetous and which wants what isn't yours and which is jealous and lustful and selfish. And, and that's really what he's speaking about here is what and how we look um, at the opposite sex, what we imagine, the eye of our mind, what we uh, do and what Jesus is very much saying in this area is, is the unseen area, isn't it? You know, uh, not just uh, the outward fidelity, but the inward fidelity, the, what, we choose to f- or, uh, what we choose to do with our imagination. And if we allow it to fantasize into areas uh, of impurity and of lust for our lives, uh, what is private? But it's interesting, isn't it, that what is private and what we think nobody sees, nobody knows about, actually very often comes out in our behavior, in our attitudes, in the way we speak about the opposite sex, and sometimes in adultery. Because adultery very, very rarely just happens at the front door. It usually happens in our minds. And it usually happens over a long period of time. And it usually happens because that is what we've fed ourselves to do. So it's a hugely significant area. And Jesus, and not just in this area, but in every area, uh, jealousy, lust, impurity, anger. Jesus, Corey preached about that last week. It takes drastic measure using this powerful illustration, this powerful figure of speech, you know, uh, rip your eye out, cut your hand off, get rid of, in other words, get rid of what is offensive and deal with it in your own life and in your own heart. Because he says it strikes at the heart of our faith. He says if we, if we don't deal with these things, if we don't deal with sin in our hearts in a powerful and drastic way, then we have to ask the question if we're saved at all. Because there's such, it's, it's such a dangerous thing. It strikes at the very heart. He says Christianity, personal faith, is about getting tough. It's about getting not on others. It's about getting tough on ourselves. It's seeing sin as a cancer, not as a, a candy. See the difference? Is that it's something that is destructive, divisive, deceptive, dehumanizing, and damaging. And he wants us to stop uh, us spending our time comparing ourselves with other Christians 
I'm thinking, well, actually, I'm doing pretty well. I'm as good as the next. I'm better than him. I'm, I'm definitely better than them. I'm thinking that we're okay. When he says, look, just stop looking at everybody else and, and comparing yourself and rather look into your own heart and deal with that honestly and deal, have a sense of accountability to God, not just privately with God, but also with other people who are strong and mature Christians that you can be accountable with. Personal faith is a great thing, but it's about getting serious about our faith. It's about dealing with things in our own hearts that we would be ashamed to mention in public, that we would be ashamed to confess to. And it's about taking away any double standards in our lives. Everything else about faith can be faked, apart from this apart from dealing with our own hearts. You can't fake that. You know, everything else, coming to church, looking great, great theology, great doctrine, great worship, great outward obedience, outward morality, all of it can be faked. But this eyeball to eye, internally eyeballing God in Christ and asking Him to examine your soul and root out what separates you from Him, nothing It can't be faked. And that is the core of our spiritual uh, reality. Christ knows. Christ sees. And you know what the great thing is? Christ forgives. He doesn't hold it against us. As we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He doesn't leave us cripples, spiritual cripples. He redeems us. He buys us back. And he is willing to do that. But he needs us to be honest and to face him honestly in our Christian lives and one-to-one with him. So, this passage speaks very powerfully into an area of our lives that is, is I guess, very significant and very important. Can I just uh, conclude with one or two thoughts? It's a huge area, and obviously we've just skimmed the surface this evening. There's a lot of teaching in the scripture about sexuality and our uh, morality and our lust and our behavior with one another. And we're all sexual sinners. And we all need uh, his forgiveness in that area. But primarily as Christians, what we need to remember is that in this area, as in other areas, it's about our identity. It's about our identity. And our identity as Christians is in Christ. That we are his children. Are we his We're his family. We're his brothers and sisters. God is our father. Our identity is in being is Christ and in being Christ-like. That's what our belonging is. That's what our self-value is. That's where our self-worth is. All of these things uh, revolve around knowing and appreciating that we are loved. That we are far more wicked than we could ever imagine, but we are far more loved than we can ever dream of because of what Jesus Christ has done as we come to him. That's where our identity lies. That's what stops us from being cowards in this area. So it stops us from trying to find our identity in our sexuality, but rather it's in Christ himself. So can I say one or two things in relation to this? First, I think you need to be aware, and we need to be aware of the power of beauty. Maybe particularly women need to be aware of that need to be aware of the jealousy, the envy, and the lust that it can 
provoke in others. And can I say to you, your identity is not in your looks or in your beauty, however beautiful you may be, but in Christ. And so it's important not to play on that and not to abuse that. But also we need to be aware of, I think, I believe, I hope I'm not wrong here, in Christ's emphasis in this passage. Because it's, it's male-shaped, isn't it? This passage is male-shaped. Jesus says, you know, um, you, sh- you, heard you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, adultery is male-only sin, and not exclusively male, but I think it's definitely male-shaped, this passage. And I think that's not insignificant. God knows the heart of men as well as the heart of women. And he knows that we are tempted in different areas by different things and uh, by different uh, temptations. You know, the, the summer uh, brought out um, the exposure of Ashley Ma- the Ashley Madison website, which was the adultery website, you know, which... Uh, promised that you could have free adultery and, and relationship. you signed up and no one would know and all that kind of nonsense. But interestingly, and I'm sure there's lots of debatable figures in this, but 31 million men signed up. They reckon probably, because there was a lot of false accounts of women, they reckon 12,000 women actually signed up uh, with active accounts as opposed to 31 million men. I think God knows our hearts. And God knows that adultery for a man and sexual activity for a man is different. And they look for different things and they throw aside things easier than women do. But I think we also need to understand the significance of marriage. Don't joke about marriage. Don't talk about marriage as if it's outdated or kind of uh, to be avoided at all costs. Protect marriage. Pray for marriage. Pray for marriages in this church. Help people who are married. It's tough sometimes. Encourage people. Young people, get married. It's good. Better to marry than to burn. It's a good thing. Marriage is a good thing. It's not enslavement. It's not stopping you living. It's not something that is uh, to be mocked just because society mocks it. But interestingly enough, it doesn't anymore because of all the issues that we've, we've looked at recently. But understand the significance of marriage. And remember again, I go back to this point, remember again your identity in Christ. As a wife or a husband or as someone who's single, remember as a single person that you belong, that you're unique, that you're part of the family of God that you're not alone, that you're valued. And if you long to be married, that you would take these longings to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would trust him, that you would tell him what you want, but that you would not make an idol of it. And don't choose a partner carelessly or without grace or without prayer. Because marriage can be a lonely place. And very lastly, we're not really time to talk about same self-attraction, same-sex attraction. 
But it's obviously a, a huge area and uh, the defining issue of the day in which we live. Undoubtedly, clearly it is. But again, that temptation is one that is real uh, in the lives of people. And uh, for those with that temptation, again, all we can say is that we value them, that we value their uniqueness, and that they belong to this family, and that they're not to make an idol of the attractions they feel, but they're to take them to Christ and understand what he is asking and demanding of them and what they're asked to do in bending to his lordship is something that we should support and help and encourage them through. So remember uh, significantly these laws of love. Our heart needs to be right with God and we seek to be Christ-like, not just as individuals, but as a community. I can't overestimate the importance of community in working out uh, these laws of love and in uh, making up for some of the things we think we are missing out on when we follow him and when we follow his ways. And uh, remember the safety from the community of Christ. The more you're alone, uh, the more likely you are to uh, fall into sexual sin. Uh, Remember the safety of God's community and remember the grace that he uh, enables us to live his way with. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father God, we ask that you'd help us in this area. We confess our sins in thought and word and in deed. We pray for those who maybe have a colorful history sexually and who feel enslaved by failure and uh, sin. We pray that they would know forgiveness and redemption and uh, freedom in Christ and that Satan would not be able to uh, paralyze them in the way he so loves to do. We pray that you would forgive us for the selfishness that so often reigns in our hearts in this area. Pride, um, the manipulation, um, the different ways in which we uh, take your gift and uh, we abuse it and we take it away from the precious package in which it should be found and expressed. Lord, we uh, struggle in these areas and uh, we ask for forgiveness and grace. We pray for our young people, uh, for all of us indeed, but maybe especially our young people growing up in, uh, in their young lives with so much sexual pressure uh, where um, pornography is so readily available, so eas- easily accessible in the flick of a switch, the privacy of our homes and our rooms. We pray that you would simply work in all of our hearts to find that sin is not something that we do when other people aren't around, uh, but sin is something that destroys and dehumanizes and divides and keeps us from Jesus Christ, and that we would remember the cost that he paid on the cross to set us free and to rid us of that cancer and to give us life. So help us in this and in every area of our lives, we pray, to deal with our own hearts, 
and to keep short accounts with you and to deal with the large beam that often is protruding from our own eyes rather than focusing on the speck of dust that we uh, proudly point out in the eyes of others. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.